Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another installment of Dynasty Queens. I am your host, Pamela Nicole, and I have the beautiful, beautiful Nia J, baby. Before we get started with today's episode, guys, I do want to go ahead and give a great shout out to our sponsor, Social Media Blast Off. If you're out here trying to just make it, make it with your business, you're an entrepreneur, you're an artist, music, mogul, you name it, if you're needing a little boost in your social media account, go ahead and click on the link down here and go ahead and save 40% off. Go ahead and check out cfblastoff.net. All right, guys, so today... Of course, we've had beautiful, lovely women, empowering women that have just been phenomenal telling us about their stories. We have today Miss Inez Nelson in the building. Go ahead and give her a round of applause, y'all. Yes. Hello, Miss Inez. Hello. I just want to. I just want to do a quick uh, a correction. My last name is Chimangariso now. Oh, I'm so sorry, Chimangariso. <laughs> One more time. Can, yeah, can we get every pronunciation? One more time. It's Chimangariso. Chimangariso. Yes, yes. We got it. What's what is it? I don't want we no problems it. with my husband, okay? <laughs> <laughs> what, what are the origins of your last name? So my husband is from Zimbabwe, which is the flag you see behind me. Um, we actually met while I was on a trip in South Africa. Um, and he has since moved here to the United States and we will have been married, um, five years in December. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So we're, talk we're talking about your marriage and, you know, your beautiful start to your family. Why don't we back up a little bit? Tell us a little bit about you that our viewers don't know. Tell us about, you know, where you're from originally and how you grew up and everything. Okay. Um, so I was actually born in Jersey, but I am a Southern girl to the heart. Um, I grew up in a small, small town near Charlotte, North Carolina called Monroe. Um, went to undergrad, I mean, went to elementary and high school there. Um, and since then have moved to the Northeast, right? I went to undergrad at Morgan State University. Shout out to the Bears. Um, and I have been now in Philadelphia for probably 17 years, which is crazy wow. to even imagine. Um, I love it here because it's close to everything. Um, and it, it reminds me of kind of the small town version of like big cities like New York and DC. Um, but I started my career in travel um, when I actually moved here. Like I went to an event, a conference in Tokyo, Japan in 2009 for grad school. Um, and when I had gone there, I realized that I had never been anywhere where nobody looked like me. There was no English anywhere. Like there was, there wasn't no black people, no white people. It was just all Asians. And I was like, whoa, like clearly there's so much world to see. So that kind of kicked off my travel bug. And I spent the next decade traveling and taking, um, groups of black and brown people to black and brown countries to do travel to do volunteer service and to learn and reconnect with the diaspora. So that was kind of where I got my start in travel. Um, I like to say I was kind of like, you know, one of the initiators of kind of what is now the black travel movement. Back then there wasn't a whole lot of people you see on Instagram and online doing these things. Um, and so a lot of the people who have companies now, like we kind of started all traveling together. Um, and then in 2018 is when my husband and I got engaged um, he moved here to the United States, 
soon after we were pregnant very quickly. <laughs> um, and then the very next year I was diagnosed with um, bladder cancer. And it was actually during my, my first ultrasound with my daughter, um, my oldest daughter, True. And what that turned into kind of the hardest year of my life, right? Like, you know, if you think about, you know, being someone who got married technically late in life, right? I wasn't, I was 35. Um, and, you know, I had already kind of established my identity of who I was. Like I was a traveler, you know, I was a professional, all of these things. And that year kind of shifted my whole identity. Like I was now a wife, I was a soon to be mother, I was battling cancer. And so by the time I had my daughter, I was fighting a lot of postpartum depression, right? Because it was just kind of like, I don't even know, I don't even know who I am anymore. I remember sitting on my couch, binging Netflix for hours. Um, and I remember it being like three o'clock in the morning and I was watching a show but you know how sometimes your brain is just kind of going in the background and you, so you're watching it, but you're not really paying attention. Um, right. That's kind of where I was. And there was like a voice in the back of my head that kept saying, something is wrong. I something is wrong. You need to say something to somebody and tell them something is wrong. Right. Um, and I remember reaching out to one of my good friends um, and telling her like, I'm not okay. Right. Like I'm not okay. Um, and that kind of led me on my journey to where I am now as a travel coach. Like I hired my first life coach, she helped me to completely change my life and just reconnect with myself as a woman, in addition to being a wife and a mother. Um, and at the same time, I realized I kind of have always been a coach for my friends. Like I'm always the person who wanted to see the best in people and give them strategies to do it and encourage them and cheer them on. Um, and so soon after that, I became a travel coach um, because I was like, you know, I always love to see the transformations that people have from the trips that they take. Because they, you know, travel has completely transformed my whole life. And so that's what I do now. Like I'm helping um, specifically black moms be able to take the kid free vacations that they want and they really need. That is amazing. I know. Like just that brief summary of your life is like, wow, she's accomplished a lot. So Pam knows I like to backtrack with our guests because our guests love to, you know, get to the fun facts. But let's go back a little bit. So okay. you're in Tokyo, right? Culture shock, like out of this world. So, how did you assimilate into the culture? Did you learn Japanese? Give me the rundown. So, the interesting thing was when I got there, this is way back in the day. So, when I was going, I wanted to connect with some people there. And so, I actually went on Black Planet, right? Um, and I was trying to connect with some people who were there. I ended up connecting with this girl who was Japanese. Um, and so when I got there, I at least had one person to connect with to kind of show me the lay of the land. Right. Um, and I, I initially was, you know, kind of shocked because the countries that I had been to and the places I had experienced before, um, there was some sort of comfort with them. Like it was something I could recognize. But I remember kind of like being in the subway in Tokyo and being like, I cannot read anything. Like, I have no idea how to get where I'm going. But the, the, one of the best things that I realized from that experience was like the people there were really, really hospitable and nice. Like they could speak English. And so they could tell that, you know, I was struggling and they just kind of helped me along to get where I needed to go. So that was really helpful because. Otherwise, I would have been in the struggle, like just 
straight up. Um, one of the things that the girl who I met, she helped me to connect with some of the the black community there because she was actually a part of a black professional group because although she was Japanese, her boyfriend was black. Right. And so I remember one evening before I went to Yokohama for my conference, she took me to a club to go hang out. And when I got in there, I felt like I had been transported back to Philadelphia because they were playing meat meal. There was a whole lot of us in there. And I was just like, what is going on? Um, but I found out that Temple has a campus in Tokyo, right? And so that is where a lot of the Philadelphians who were in there were were from. They had there we were they were attending Temple University in Tokyo. So I got a chance to experience both a bit of us there and a bit of the culture there. One of my biggest things was this was back when America's Top, top Next Top Model was like a huge thing. Um, and I remember them going somewhere in Asia and they were sleeping in what they call the capsule hotels. So where you like actually like slide into a bed. It's, it reminds me of what's that movie? I can't think of oh, the fifth element, right? The bed, the fifth element. So I was like, if I go there, I have to sleep in a capsule hotel. So I did get to do that. But what I'll tell you is the majority of those hotels, I didn't know this until I got there, were for men only oh. for some reason. Right. And so I get there like all excited, like, yes, I'm going. They're like, no, ma'am, <laughs> you have to find the one that is for women. And so I was able to find one that was for women. But that was that was a really cool experience that I got to do as well. You know, that is so, so unique because I, I don't think anybody was expecting that part of the story. Two parts. The first thing that really captured my attention was when you said that we were over there and your kinfolk people from Philly were in Tokyo because of the campus. That is, I don't think mm -hmm. a lot of people know that. Like, wow. mm -hmm. okay. And it's really just, <laughs> what you just stated now, I'm just like, that is insane. That is insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, apparently, like, the, those places are called bathhouses. And uh, in their culture, <laughs> the bathhouses are male only for some reason. Now, you know, um, in America, bathhouse, that means something else. It, it is a place for men, but it means something else. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting that they still have segregation, because how long ago was this in Tokyo? 2009. That is insane. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. But, you know, the thing about, like, Asian culture, too, Asian people love Black people, okay? Like, okay. <laughs> Black people, so... I know it had to have been just a complete vibe, just having just all that hospitality, especially the Japanese style hospitality. I'm really mm -hmm. in the Japanese culture myself, so I just know you had a blast in Tokyo. Like, what, really what was like the most memorable moment you had in Tokyo? So the conference that I was there for was called SIGGRAPH Asia, and it's a it's a conference that's hosted here in the United States as well, but it's a computer graphics and robotics and animation conference. So I went there because I was in grad school for computer graphics and game technology because I thought I wanted to work for Disney and I thought I wanted to work for Pixar. So that's how I kind of ended up over there. Um, and some of my biggest memories from that was, so when I got there, I had traveled alone, right? Mm -hmm. And so they pair you up with someone else who um, who live, who is there for the conference as well. So my roommate was from Singapore, Right. And I had never met anybody from Singapore. And she was also very, very nice. Um, and so we got a chance to kind of 
peruse the city together. But some of the best things were connecting with the people who were part of the conference. All of us were volunteers. So I met people from all over the world, whether they from Germany, there were people from England, there were people from Singapore. I met, um, you know, quite a few people from the Netherlands. So for me, I feel like that introduced me to my travel bug because I was just like, there's so many countries represented here. And I have not really, some of them I've never even heard of. And I definitely don't know anybody from there. And so it really made me want to see more of the world. So, so far, how many countries have you visited um, in total? At this point? At this point. Um, I think that it's 23. Okay. Maybe some of them. Like, what were some of your favorite destinations and why? Um, so one of my top, top, top destinations is Ghana. Um, I went to Ghana in 2012 in December, which is the best time to go to Ghana. Um, and it was my second time to the continent, but I love that trip so much because I got to see like all aspects of Ghana. So we, we stayed in kind of a rural area in an Airbnb that was right on the beach. So I got to be near the market and just kind of walk on the dirt roads and just experience that part and, you know, have the ladies help us figure out, you know, how to tie, if we were to have children, how to tie our babies on our back and all of that stuff. But then we also experienced like the elite, you know, Afropolitan side of Ghana. So we were at the nicest clubs of the clubs. We were visiting some of the people who live in mansions and have gated homes. We were at club openings and magazine release parties, right? Like, and then we also got to experience like the, the the deep um culture there right so we got to we got to participate in a naming ceremony um so the the children in Ghana usually their first name is based on the day of the week that they're born on so we got to experience and actually be a part of a ceremony which was transformative because they have you kind of like you know tap into your ancestors right yeah. and think about how they once were here on the continent right and just take a moment to think about them and just, you know, listen to the water that took that you, that basically took the ships to where we are today. Like it was just a transformative experience. So I love Ghana. That like, that's like one of my top ones because that opened my eyes up to the continent. And I was just like, I need to hit all 54 countries. I need to hit all of them after that trip. And they never show the luxury cushy parts of Africa no. on TV, okay? And of course, we want to, you know, acknowledge National Geographic for showing, you know, what's going on in Somalia and stuff, but come on now. Ghana, Kenya, they have prestigious, well-to-do, educated Black people who got money, okay? With yes. Money. <laughs> yes. Very true. Um, I really like, you know, between Ghana, South Africa was also one of my favorite places, too. Because we got a chance to experience, similar to Ghana, the whole country. So we started off in Johannesburg. Johannesburg is very much like art, right? Um, there's a lot of artists there. There's a lot of fashion there. Like they are killing it with the fashion over there. Um, we got to go to Cape Town. Cape Town is very much like um, architecture. Like the homes there are beautiful. The structures there are beautiful. But also the land, like they have, you know, the mountains there and these type of things. Um, they have Tabletop Mountain and Signal Mountain and all of these mountains that you can go see and you can like glide, hang glide off of, which we did. 
Um, sure. And then we went to Durban, which is um, where I met my husband. And I call it like the Miami of South Africa, like beaches for miles, just beautiful landscape, just just all the things. So I also love South Africa as well. Um, because not only was it like a true experience of the whole country and just not what you see on TV or on, you know, any of the stations, but it also, you know, connected me with, you know, my, my life partner. Right. And I love that, you know, you're, you're talking about how you love life and your love, it basically it's two love lives, your love of travel and your actual love life came to be. I did want to know as far as, you know, since you're traveling so much and gone here and there, and I know you recently you know, five years in, you've recently been married and everything. How did that relationship go? Like, as far as long distance and everything, tell us a little bit about how you managed to have a long distance yeah. while, you know, traveling the world. It was a wild ride. I will tell you, like, um, so when we met, so my husband's from Zimbabwe, but he ended up in South Africa because he went to school there. And initially it was not supposed to be a thing. Like we met like two days before I was supposed to leave um, South Africa. And it was just kind of like, yeah, let's exchange numbers, whatever. Like it is what it is. And so we talked long distance um, for a while. I feel like this was even before I was really using WhatsApp like that. So there was another app that we used to use to talk and just do video chat with. Um, and so I tried to go back there as often as possible because the time we were dating was also during the Trump administration. So it was very difficult for him to even come here. Like he couldn't even get a visitor's visa, um, because, you know, Trump just was not having it and they were just trying to delay everything. Um, so I actually went there back to visit him a couple of times before we, before he moved here. But it was it was pretty difficult because in addition to him being far away, he was six hours ahead. Right. So we would have to be talking on the phone with him like three o'clock in the morning and then in the evening here. And so but one of the things that I loved about our relationship that I feel like I didn't get in some of my previous relationships was we built our foundation on conversation and communication early. Right. Because if you don't have the person around it requires you to lean on some of the other things to build your relationship. Um, And so that was actually the most fruitful relationship that I had ever been in because we had long conversations. I feel like I know who I knew who he was. He knew who I was. Um, I could kind of feel his spirit. You know, even when I went to go, you know, visit him there, I could tell by the people he connected with and he hung out with that he was just a genuine guy. Um, And so after a couple of years of me traveling there, we were like, Let's just make that move. So he ended up, I actually am a legit 90 day fiance. It is nothing like the TV show, (laughs) but he moved here. Um, We did the visa in early 2018. He moved here in October and we were married in December. Wow. (laughs) We said at the same time, we're like, wow, that is the whole story. Like, okay, I guess like you have to turn this into like a memoir or like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Because think about it like the whole thing, like the experience, then going to, you know, Africa and Ghana, and then finding the love of your life, like a Hollywood movie, like a romantic fairy tale. Girl, a lot of us don't get to see that. I always say I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book. The name of my my business is It's Deeper Than Travel. 
And I was like, that's going to be the name of my memoir because all of my trips have been so transformative that it's way more about just going on vacation. Like it's just, it's so much deeper than travel. And it makes sense now. It really makes sense. Everything. Cause I I guess I still do want to know though. Like, okay. So you found your dream man. He gets the visa. He moves to the state. So at this point, are you already starting to have the program um, in place or was this before you got into the travel um, like heavy? Or I guess at one point in time, did you say, okay, this is what I want to do. I've done the traveling, I found man. Was this before you had kids or what was that whole little um, pivot of your life? In 2013, so before I met uh, my husband, in 2013, I hosted a trip called 30 Turning 30 for me and my friends. And it was basically like our our all-encompassing birthday trip, and we went to Brazil. And we got a chance to do Rio. Uh, we got a chance to do Bahia. That is also one of my top five places to go um, because there's a lot of the African culture still in Brazil from the slave trade. And so it was just cool to see how the culture has, how it's, where it started and how it shifted as it moved throughout the diaspora to where we are today. Um, and I remember flying back to the U.S. from that trip. And on that flight, I was just like, I would do this. I would take people to countries and introduce them to our ancestry and the cultures of Black people around the world. Um, I would do this for free. Like I would just, I just yeah. love this so much. Right. And so that was the point in time where I was just like, I had before that time I had hosted a few like smaller trips. That was the biggest one um, that I had hosted into that point. Um, and so that was a transformative moment for me to just be like, okay, this is what I feel like my purpose is. Like, I feel like my job is to reconnect the diaspora because I, I'm somebody who it's 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 not difficult for me to build rapport between people. Um, I do a great job, I think, of highlighting how we aren't different from each other. We're different like each other, especially when it comes to black and brown people around the world. Like it's just small differences, but we share a lot of experiences, um, regardless of where we live or where we originated. And so I was just like, I need to do this all the time. So that's kind of when It's Deeper Than Travel started. And I started to do you know, more trips and even e- local events to introduce people to the cultures, whether they wanted to travel or not. Um, so, yeah. It's amazing. Now, I did want to ask as far as, you know, you starting this business and everything. I also know that you, you did mention about moms taking that vacation without the kids and being like confident. I'm a mom, too. So I completely understand, like, having that separation anxiety from your kids. Mm-hmm. You say would be like some other reasons why a mom would be like, you know, I really need this trip, but I can't do it. What are, what have what have you heard? What have women told you? Like, I just can't do this because, and then you like, yes. Yeah. Um. So at the top of the list, I think is mom guilt, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I always tell people. Mom guilt is not a bad thing. Like to me, mom guilt just means you're a good mom. Like if you, if there, it doesn't matter how excellent you are as a mother, you are going to experience mom guilt because it just comes along with the territory, like babies and diapers, like it just is right. And so a lot of the moms that I have worked with and, you know, spoken with feel bad about going without their children. Like they feel bad leaving them with people 
um, whether it's family members or not, like they they feel like, you know, in some way they're supposed to be there for the children. Um, that it's not necessarily like some people feel like because I'm a mom now, like I have to kind of part with who I what I used to want to do, the dreams that I had, the fun that I want to do, like because I'm a mom now. Right. It makes me think about Kiki Palmer, like you a mother. Right. Like just you can't you can't be doing that because you're a mother. Right. And so a lot of that is the guilt that they experience. And so they are telling themselves that because they feel guilty about doing it, they shouldn't do it. And so one of the things I tell them is feel the guilt and still do it. Right. Because you deserve it. And to me, one of the biggest things that I I believe is that when you become a mother, you're not supposed to turn into a martyr. Right. You're not supposed to give up and sacrifice and be self-sacrificing and all giving and let motherhood all can be all consuming of your life. You're supposed to be a model. Right. The way you live is supposed to be a representation of what you want your children to experience. For me, I have two daughters. They're four and two. Um, And I'm like, when they become a mother and they become a wife, I want them to still think that it's important for them to make room for themselves in their life. Right. It's important for them to do the things that they desire to do and, you know, find time to have peace and you know, that type of thing. And if it's travel, then girl, go, go catch the flight, like do the thing. Because at the end of the day, you know, I spend 52 weeks of the year with them. So if I'm gone for three weeks, why, for instance, this year I took three trips, three girlfriends trips. That's nothing in the grand scheme of life. Like they get me every day. Right. And so that's one of the things that I really tell my clients is just, you know, don't make mom guilt a problem, right? Don't make it a problem. It's absolutely normal. It doesn't mean anything has gone wrong. And that pretty much sounds like breaking generational curses because I heard you just say, you know, you want your children to, I guess, kind of see through representation of what you're doing in your life. Like, hey, I want to be like mom. I can do this too. I can live this fabulous life. I can travel, be the greatest mother. I can do it all. I can be Wonder Woman. So it's really about breaking that stigma. So I applaud you for that. And then also I wanted to ask, um, so give us a little bit of detail on how that works. So when you have a new client, what is that process like? Is there like a coaching session? Like you have like a classroom setting? Is it like a one-on-one phone call? Is it a virtual? Is it a bunch of different, like how since you incorporate the travel agent and like the counselor kind of sort of, how, you, how does that merge? So for me as, as a coach, my job is to get people to, to basically think different and then to take the actions that reflect the transformation and the things that they want, right? So a lot of my clients, they have the actual want to be able to kind of plan and execute their own trip. Um, Some of them want to be able to outsource it, but there's something blocking it, right? There's usually some form of obstacle that's blocking it. So whether it's the money, right? Whether it's the mom guilt, whether it's the time in your schedule, whether it's not having or feeling like you don't feel comfortable with your village, right? Taking care of your child. Usually one of those things is blocking their ability to go. So my job is to one, give them um, the tools that they need, right? So whether it is telling them, this is the way you could make this happen, right? Here are some things that I do in order to make this happen for me. And then also support them in solving every problem that's going to come up, right? So because even when you figure out you know, how to do the time piece, then somebody's going to need the money 
to do something else and your kids need the money and all of these things, right? So we work together one-on-one. Like my sessions are one-on-one with my clients because I like to, at this stage of my business, I like to be able to understand what are the biggest things that are blocking each individual person. Um, And so that's why I do the one-on-one sessions. Um, And so usually during the session, they will have understanding, like they will have, you know, the steps of the things to do. So one of, so my curriculum is kind of like, Hey, we're going to get to the point where we decide where we want to go and we're going to make a commitment to it the same way you would commit to the things that you do for your children. Right. Mm -hmm. Not a kind of halfway. Well, I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go like, no, we're committed. It's on the calendar. We're moving forward in action. Right. And then we're going to choose whatever is the next best step for you. So maybe, you know, maybe you have the money, but you don't have the time in your schedule. Right. So maybe you need to take some stuff off your plate in order to make time for this. Right. Or maybe you do have the time, but you don't have the money. So you need to figure out how you can start leveraging the money you're already spending to accumulate the points or the other things that you want to use in order to be able to travel. So everybody's situation can be different. And after you kind of choose the next step, right? Then you have to take the steps that are required. And that's the biggest thing because we will give ourselves all kinds of excuses of why we can't make it happen, right? And so my biggest thing is to help my clients overcome the I can't do it and build their belief, even if they have to lean on my belief in the meantime, right? Um, And then once we kind of get them in action, we problem solve. Like we're going to solve every problem that comes up, whether it is, you know, one person said they would watch my kids, and now they change their mind. That's not a reason we're not going. What's the next person, right? Or if it's like, I feel like I don't have a village, like who is who is really in your village, right? So for instance, I have a village here in Philadelphia, but my village was all busy when I went on my last trip for my best friend's birthday in Bali. So I actually flew my baby brother into Philadelphia to watch my daughters for me, right? And so just giving them unique situations like that. And it wasn't expensive. It was $70 round trip from Philadelphia to Charlotte. So it wasn't a lot of money, but now I can leverage my full village and it doesn't have to just be the people who are in Philadelphia. So giving them kind of ideas of things to do and then just repeating the process until they get on their trip. So that's kind of like what we do when we're working together one-on-one. You're like the true vision of accountability. Like everything you're seeing is just, and I'm, I'm here for it because it's like you put a plane in a place no, you got to figure it out. A plan. I'm a big planner. Neil will tell you, I am a very big planner. I've got plan D all the way down to anything I have done. Mm-hmm. So I'm totally there with you of like being organized and just making sure everything is your ducks are in a row. So I, I mm-hmm. love you do that and you hold people accountable for what they say they want to do. Yes. Because you know what? Moms who moms are like, I feel like motherhood is one of the hardest jobs in the world. Right. It is the, I mean, and you're not getting paid for this. Okay. (laughs) And I feel like moms are the central piece of the family, right? If you remove, if you're removed from that piece, the puzzle cannot be a full picture. So we have to take care of ourselves, right? And sometimes the self-care, if the self-care for you looks like travel, then you have to make it happen for you. Now, whether it's a staycation, in your city, whether it's, you know, a daycation for, you know, a day in your city, whether you want a full girl's trip, whether you want to go with your man, whether you want to go solo, it's possible for you to do. And all the moms who are trying to do it are experiencing the same struggles, 
right? It, it's, it looks very similar for everyone, but it's absolutely possible for anyone. And it's like for moms, like it's, it's always so easy to say, I can't, or mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to do this versus just taking a plunge and like actually dedicating yourself to something else. It's, it's so easy. I see this every day with people. It's like, oh, I can't. Oh, something came up and, mm-hmm. and- mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Well, and you know what? In the beginning, it was very hard for me. And so sometimes people are like, oh, well, you traveled, so it's easy for you. I'm like, no, ma'am. Okay. When I became a mother, it was hard for me to even figure out how to travel again. And that's why it was such a shocker to me because I'm like, I should know how to do this. Like, I should be able to, I should be able to plan. I should be able to make this happen. And I could not make it happen. I was just like, something is wrong here. So that's why I say it's the same for everyone. And in one of the biggest things that is important to do is to start making room in your life for you, right? You can't take the big trip if you don't even have room in your life for you, right? So that is like step number one for the moms who are just like, I can't do it or something came up. Like think about how much time in your day you make room for you in your week. Do you make room for you? And the more you can start doing that, the more comfortable you get with doing that. And the more when stuff comes up, you're like, oh no, like even though that came up, I'm still going to do the thing for me. Cheers. What's your most, because um, I know you said you've done some of those 23 trips solo, solo um, I guess, with your husband. What about the family trips, um, though? Because I know you, I was, you know, doing some research and I noticed that you said you did do some family trips too. So what's like a memorable moment that you shared with your girls um, any place in the world? So last year, um, we took our very first trip to Zimbabwe. Right. And so up until that point, neither me or my daughters had been to Zimbabwe. Right. So this was the very first time that I got a chance to meet my husband's family. Right. And so that experience was very memorable. One, because it's the longest trip I've ever taken. We were there for four and a half months. Right. Yes. Um, So just and again, like for me. I was terrified before I went, even though I've traveled so much. I was just like, I've never done long-term travel like this. And I definitely haven't done long-term travel with my children. Like, I don't know how we're going to work this out. But I reached out to, you know, communities of Black women who are moms who are traveling and just were like, "Uh, so how y'all doing this? And like got a lot of encouragement and just some understanding of how to make it happen. But that trip was so memorable because it was a, it was a chance to see my husband in his element, right? You know, his native language, his his home, his native foods, like, you know, just and he hadn't experienced that in a while. And so, and it was a big learning experience for me and my girls. Like we, you know, we don't speak the language. So we were learning here words here and there and like, you know, just hearing their type of music more often and connecting with more Zimbabwean people and we spent five days um, at his mother's house, which is in a very, very rural area that they called the farm, which was no electricity, no running water, um, probably at least an hour from a major city, right? And so just learning, like, this is the way he grew up, right? Like, you know, finding time to connect with his family at a deeper level, which you have to do because there's nothing out there, nothing else to do out there, right? Um, but just exploring the farm and just 
just that whole experience, learning how to cook on their stoves with the fire and the wood and just, you know, going to the outhouse and experiencing things like the club at the farm. So like they like hang, they like they have solar panels that they use to to light up the place in the evening. And so we actually went, we went there, we went there for Christmas and went to basically the club at the farm and they had like the little lights and they had like a little a little bar that was in a room and it just was a completely different experience where they were having a blast. Like the party was was jumping. Like and so that is that was really memorable for me. And it was for them too because they got a chance to connect with their cousins um and be able to just, you know, have fun with people who are family. Um and it's not my family, right? They're used to just being around my family, but they got a chance to connect with with their Baba's family. That is amazing. Your kids are going to really just be so cultured and have all these wonderful experiences. And I think that, you know, what you are doing, you are providing, like Mia had said earlier, providing um, that breakage of generational curses. You're, you're giving your girls that chance to have that experience. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's really hard to be able to like relate to other people when they haven't had a chance to, you know, either something they've been limited to having experience, but just to have, you know, the stories they can tell people, you know, the people they can reach out to and encourage to do the same thing that, you know, that mom's doing, you know, that's mm-hmm. amazing, you know? Yeah. Well, and the funny thing is my daughter, my daughter, my oldest daughter, her first international trip was to Mexico. We went to a real estate conference there. Um, and since then she swears she's Mexican. Like, she's like, I am Mexican. I love Mexico. Like, just, we're like, you're not, Mexican. you're not Mexican, boo. Like, <laughs> and so she is ready to go back. She's always asking like, when are we going to go back to Mexico? And one of the interesting things is like, you know, I didn't travel a lot internationally when I was young. Um, but I kind of traveled within the United States because my family was throughout the U.S. Um, but for her, she's traveled internationally so much as a kid that whenever she's talking to people on the phone, she asks them what country they're in, right? So she people will call her and she'd be like, "What country are you in?" And those are people who are like New York, right? Like just it's the United States, but just that's just her her view of the world. Now she's like, people are all in different countries, and so I need to know which country you're in. You have exposed her in a good way, positive way, making her think like, wow, there is something beyond this school and these friends and what I'm watching on TV or playing on, you know, my devices. There's a whole world out there of other cultures. So when she goes to college, you know, and all of that, she's already going to, you know, be well versed and know how to move about with different groups in school. That's really awesome. Now, I did want to kind of you know, take a variation, I have to ask, and we have to know, um, when you found out about the bladder cancer, can you go over that, um, you know, situation with us? Um, how did, how did that diagnosis come to be? And tell us about your journey. (laughs) Yes. Um, so it's interesting that when I was young, I was someone who had like chronic bladder infections. Like I would always have bladder infections when I was young um, to the point where they thought I was going to have to be on medication for it um, for the rest of my life. And then they just went away when I was in high school. And it was like, oh, okay, well, never mind. Right. Um, And so when I went to go get my first ultrasound with my oldest daughter, 
just to kind of look around, a few weeks later, I got a phone call and said, hey, we saw a mass in your bladder. We just want to kind of bring you in and do a biopsy and see what's in there. And I'm like, okay, like, I didn't really think much about it. I, I don't feel like I was really worried about it necessarily. Um, the, but the thing was, they were like, we have to bring you in at a certain point because of where you are in your pregnancy, right? After you get a, a certain amount in your pregnancy, it's not good to be under anesthesia. Um, and so they were like, you have to come in as soon as possible. I'm like, okay, fine. So we do the biopsy. And I remember it because it was Valentine's, right? It was Valentine's, me and my husband's first Valentine's as husband and wife. Um, and the day before is when I got, I went to, my mom and dad had flown up. We went to hear kind of what the results were. Um, and they were like, basically, you know, you have bladder cancer. And we're like, what? Like, this is crazy. This is crazy. Because um, mind you, at the time I was 36, right? So I'm thinking, what? Um, and it was really hard because it was just like, okay, now what? Right? And they... Basically, the what they what they told me was there was no one who looked like me, right? There was no woman, no black woman, no young black woman, no pregnant black woman that they had any idea, you know, how this could have come about. And then they also were like, we don't know, like the things that we would use to treat me, treat you, we don't know how they're going to affect the baby, right? Because there's we we have no no research of anything that is fitting you. Usually it's an older, significantly older white man who work in chemicals, right? I've, I've worked in technology all my life, right? So we don't even know how, how this came about. So it was, it was, it was a crazy time. It was a crazy time because when you think about like, when you're at the beginning of your marriage and you're pregnant with your first child, it's supposed to be a happy time, right? You're right. supposed to be celebrating and excited and just, all of those things. So to throw this in the mix was just like, it's almost like it burst my bubble. It was just like, this is not what my first year of marriage is supposed to look like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and my first pregnancy is supposed to look like. But it was one of the biggest blessings I can say I ever experienced because a little bit before I was diagnosed, I had watched um, this documentary called What the Health, right? And it is a documentary that talks about just the food in the United States and just how horrible and how processed and how full of chemicals the food is in the United States. So mm-hmm. then I found out I was I was diagnosed. And then my husband and I decided that, you know, we didn't want to take any risk with, you know, uh, immunotherapy hurting the baby. So we were going to try to figure this out and try to heal me all naturally. Um, and the day I decided that I met up with one of my good friends at a restaurant and she was, I didn't even know, but she was experiencing blood. She was experiencing breast cancer, right? But she had known a while earlier, and she was she was going about healing herself all naturally too. So she introduced me to my herbalist, who helped me to like completely shift our lifestyle. So that is when we became fully organic vegan. We shifted to you know alkaline water, juicing, smoothies, all vegetables, teas. All of these things, like, and in addition to the food part, it was more so just about really tuning into my body, like listening to my body. If something hurts, don't just ignore it and take a Tylenol. Like, pay attention because your body's trying to tell you something, right? And so that year, 
was all about that. Like, I feel like I actually only gained 11 pounds during my pregnancy because I wasn't eating nothing. <laughs> like, it was just like, and of course, I also learned that during that year that the healthcare system, at least in the United States, is more of a business than it is about health, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of advocating I had to do about myself and the way I was eating and why I was eating and how I was handling it and the fact that I didn't want surgery and I didn't want them to try to take it out and just all of these things that I felt like I was just kind of being pushed through a a conveyor belt to do. Right. And so I, it wasn't until after I had my daughter that they re went and checked me to see if I was, if I still had cancer and it was gone. Right. And that was from February to December of 2019. Wow. That's incredible. really do support what you're doing as far as, you know, it is important to see what you're putting in your body because your body can self-heal. I truly believe that. I do ketogenic diets. So I know you take out the processed stuff, you take out the sugars, you take out, out all that crap that you're putting in your body, you feel better. Your body lets you know what, you know, uh, vitamins, whatever you're craving, magnesium, you know, iron, your body lets you know. It's like a machine, you know, and it's going to mm-hmm. Know what you need. So the fact that you're on this and you're still uh, organic vegan, correct? Yes. I'll see. So it's a lifestyle, and mm-hmm. I'm glad that you're you know talking about that because a lot of people they want to hear it, but they don't want to like fully go through with it. It's like, oh no, I want to eat you know my Cheetos. I want to do this. No, you gotta mm-hmm. only have this one body. You know. Yeah, I didn't realize how much, you know, food is medicine and medicine is food until that year. And I was the person who I didn't like vegetables. Like I ate broccoli and string beans. That's the only vegetables I ate. Um, And I was definitely somebody who was into the sweets and into the breads and just all the things. So it was hard to shift because, you know, it really is a whole lifestyle change. Um, But now that I know better, I'm just like, I have people to live for here right and so i can't take the chance um because you know once you've had it you're more prone to it coming back right and so i have to be very much alert um and just consistently and you know what the funny thing is i had no idea how much my husband was going to be like a lifesaver because he didn't grow up eating meat Right. He ate, he ate meat. He wasn't vegan until we became vegan. But his lifestyle and the lifestyle of a lot of countries in, in rural areas in Africa, they don't eat meat. Eat, meat is a very luxury thing. Right. They're not necessarily eating cheeses and stuff like that. So it wasn't even like a battle for him. He became kind of like the champion in this journey to be able to kind of bring me along because I was battling. I was just like, I cannot. This is crazy. And he was like, you just got to make it like this. It's going to be good. It's going to taste good. It's going to be great. Like, so he literally like was my hero. And I like, it wasn't until that I realized just how amazing of a cook he was. I was like, I didn't even marry you could cook well. And I clearly, I didn't even know you had this skill. This is amazing. So like, it was, it was really a blessing, like because to have him by my side, because he understood how to eat the way I needed to eat. And he had already experienced it too. And, you know, you did say something. I, I, I did watch uh, part of your YouTube. You said something that really caught my eye and my attention. You said something about surviving versus thriving. And, like, literally what you said is, like, the perfect example of surviving and then you're thriving now, you know? Yes, right. 
Right. Yeah. Like it, you know, being in corporate America sometimes, like you don't even realize that you're surviving, right? Because you, you, you make good money, like, you know, but some of the stressors that come with it, the lack of like movement, like you're always sitting in front of your computer, um, you know, just a lot of times I found myself just eating while I work. So you're not even really thinking about what you're eating. You're just like eating whatever is convenient. Like I was a hot pocket queen, right? Like just always in the hot pockets. Like, um, and so it wasn't until I actually like experienced that, that I realized that I was very much in a space of surviving. Um, and now in this, in this stage of my life, it helped me because even the things that I encounter now that are difficulties, right? Whether it's in business, right? Whether it's in real estate, whether it's in motherhood, like it's like during that journey, I built a level of resiliency to be able to get back to thriving, regardless of what area of my life I may feel like I'm currently just surviving in. That's powerful. It is. That is so powerful. Um, and then another question. So your daughters, were they born into this lifestyle? Like, were you already, it already started becoming uh, the raw vegan? Had they ever yeah, had so meat? Neither of them have ever eaten meat, right? They, they, we eat, I mean, we, every now and then we'll eat like the, uh, the vegan meats, but like they are vegan they, that's, that's their life for them, which is odd because I didn't grow up that at all. So like, even to the point of like, they don't eat candy. And so it's difficult for me because I'd be like, but I ate candy, right? Like, you know, so it's, it's hard sometimes, um, to stick to it with them. Cause I kind of want them to experience the things, but I know like, it's, you know, the things that they, especially candies, they make them so addictive with the chemicals. Like, it's like, if you give it to them, they're going to be craving it because that's what it's built to do. Right. And so so we, we do a lot of replacements of the things for them. But yeah, like that's that's their lifestyle. It's funny because my, my oldest always asks, is everything vegan? So even if it's vegetables, she'd be like, are these vegan? I'm like, yeah, they're vegetables. True. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if you want candy, I do have a really great um, snicker bar. It's a vegan snicker bar Ooh. recipe with dates. So <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> I think that kind of stuff existed. Like, so, yeah. like, can you do you make like brownies and you know cakes? And is there vegan ice cream or what? You said you use substitutes and alternatives. What are some of the alternative, um, you know, foods that y'all use in place of what we are accustomed to? Yeah. So instead of like regular milk, we drink almond milk, and so we have both the regular and we have the vanilla, right? Um, we also have vegan ice cream and it's usually made with either almond or coconut milk instead of like regular milk. Um, what else we have? Um, so because we don't eat meat, like we try to supplement a lot of protein from other areas. And what people don't know is like vegetables have a lot of protein in them. Um, but we also eat a lot of like legumes. So we have beans, we have lentils, we have chickpeas, we have quinoa, all of those things to replace and try to get as much protein as possible. Um, what else? Sometimes we'll get like vegan cheese. There's this thing that I love called Just Egg. Um, and it's a brand that replaces eggs for you. And it's it's made out of something called a mung bean. Um, but I love it. Like, I'm just like, I was a egg child. And I'm like, I need a little bit of egg every now and then, even if it's not real. 
Um, and so, yeah, so we will like they have as a when you're making pizza and stuff like they have like cauliflower crust instead of like bread crust. So there is it's so crazy that there's and and now there's so many restaurants that are vegan only. Right. And just a lot of big brands and big chains are also catering to vegan food. So they'll have like black bean burgers as opposed to a regular burger or chickpea burger instead of a regular burger. So it's actually so many options, even when you go out to eat now, which is which is great. That is, and I live in Las Vegas, so we the the vegan community out here is huge. Mm. With my lifestyle, I do, I do also um, not fully vegan, but I do um, eat a lot of you know vegan items as well. So out here, it's just it's so many restaurants that cater to vegans. And like we have Mexican burritos, we have. Soul food. We've got all kinds of stuff out here catered to vegans, and the food is chef's kiss. It's amazing. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't miss the meat as much, but I definitely miss the sweets. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, yeah, I'm out here in Atlanta, and they have like a lot of um, soul food vegan spots. So I think that's the new thing that they're, you know, pushing into the forefront, which is a positive. My father, growing up, he was vegetarian, so he didn't eat meat. So I was, I ate a lot of, um, back then in the 90s, it was like tofu and um, soy products, soybean and baka burger. Mm-hmm. I grew up eating that and like chicken and turkey, um, but he still ate like fish and eggs. So I kind of, you know, he wasn't vegan, but I'm like, okay, I grew up in a household with a father who was vegetarian. So. Right. He was paying attention to what he was eating. Yeah. 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 That's so awesome though. Like, I feel like your whole journey um, of course, in life, you're going to have ups and downs, but my gosh, right now, it seems like so so much positivity in your life, and you seem to be in a happy place, so I wish you well. I really, really do. Like, I'm Thank sure you. all the viewers can really appreciate your story, because out there, there's some young woman who's going through something similar, you know, so mm-hmm. commendable, very commendable. But what is next for you? Like, we're in the last quarter of 2023, going to 24. What is next? Um, So I'm actually done with my travels for this year because I did the most this year. Like, I went to Belize. I went to Colombia. I went to Bali. Um, Coming in, you know, Q4 of this year, I'm really focused on staying in the U.S. so that I can build some specific things for my business since I've been traveling all year this year. Um, and doing a lot of kid-free vacations. Um, and so in the early, the beginning of next year, at the beginning of January, I want to do a kid-free travel summit, right? A virtual summit for moms to come together to be able to start meeting other moms who are interested in traveling without their children. And for me, kid, kid-free travel is a vacation, you know, a solo vacation, what they call momcations, or even a girlfriend's trip, right? Anything that you go on that doesn't include your children, that's a kid-free vacation. And I want to bring, you know, vendors in who can help support moms as they're on this journey. So whether they need support in outsourcing some of the things that they're doing to other people, so they have time in their schedule, um, or if they need help with building their village, like there are are some moms that I know who moved into cities and have no family there and have figured out how to create a village to be able to support their ability to travel. Or, Or if there are moms who you know, can't figure out how to get their funds together. They're like, I don't have the additional funds 
to be able to travel, but I really want to take a trip. Like we're going to talk about how you can be leveraging the money that you're already spending, whether it's bills or expenses to be able to fund the trips you want to take. So that's what we're going to going to do at the beginning of the year. Um, and then Mother's Day week, we are going to have a trip called the getaway, right? So I'm going to host a trip for a group of moms and we're going to go, I think to the U S Virgin islands, but I haven't dropped the actual location yet. Um, but we're going to spend that time just luxuriating in being an adult, right? Just having some adult fun, jacuzzis, wine, like just, just enjoying ourselves, right? As women. Um, and we're going to talk about how to keep a getaway on your calendar. So I'm going to teach a class during that trip. Like what are some of the things that you need to do? Some of the habits, some of the tools, some of the techniques that you need to incorporate into your life to be able to keep a getaway on account on your calendar and be able to continuously and confidently take the trip that you want to take. So that's kind of what's up next for me. That's amazing, amazing stuff. All the stuff, the <laughs> fun stuff. Getting them all yeah. the fun stuff. I love it. <laughs> and this, I guess, where can you know our followers? I know there's a lot of women out here, especially moms that need desperately need vacations. Where, what websites can we find you at? What are your socials so that our viewers can follow you? Absolutely. So you can find me at internationalinez.com. Um, that's my website, but I spend the majority of my time either on YouTube or Instagram. Like I have a lot of videos on YouTube that are specifically for moms who are trying to take these type of trips, um, who are interested in seeing other moms who have done it and hearing how they are making it happen. Um, and then also on Instagram, I share a little bit more about my story from an intimate perspective. So you'll see like me actually trying to make these trips happen in my life as I juggle, you know, business and real estate and wifehood and motherhood. So you'll get a chance to see more of that. And it's International Inez on both of those as well. Fantastic. Miss Inez, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you for having me. This life, love, laughs, and just keeping it positive. We we aspire to you know have more women like you on the show, just to show other women you know you can do whatever you put your mind to, and travel too. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> thank you. In closing, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in this week. I am Hamilton Nicole, and I have the beautiful Mia J. And of course, before we close out, don't forget to like, subscribe, hit that bell notification so you can keep up to date with our latest episode for the new weeks. And in closing, have a great day, guys. Dynasty, please. See ya.